You're listening to Big Girl Money. I'm Ronnie Bergner. And I'm Wendy Bowling. I've been in my career for over 30 years. And I've been around for two. We mix up our millennial and baby boomer perspectives to give you perfectly balanced career advice, inspirational stories, and more. This is Big Big Girl Girl Money. We've all warmed up. Yeah, we are warmed up. We should always do our interviews <laughs> first. Next. Exactly. Ugh. All right. Hello. Hello. Uh, how are you? <laughs> I'm good. How are you? Good. Could you move a little? I can't really see you. You have a glare. I uh, do. Oh, I think it's from our uh, oh, massive sparkly God. trophy. <laughs> it's just putting a glare in your glasses because it's so big and powerful and beautiful. <laughs> oh, my Lord. <laughs> Wendy and I are still basking in the glory of our uh, best business podcast trophy. That's so funny. This was funny because I love it. I think it's adorable. Yes. But in my head, it was like huge. Yeah. Like four times as big. Yes. But remember that the Grammys and the Emmys are about that big. Oh, good point. So that's a good point. It's not about the size. No, it's about what it means. Exactly. And it's right next to Abe and it's great. (laughs) I had quite the morning this morning. Okay, what was that about? So I kind of put up a little bit of a fit about this Hoopers group at my work. We have a Hoopers group and they play, it's like the boys go and play basketball Ooh. before work in the mornings on Tuesdays. <gasps> and you're feeling left out. Yeah, so I was like, I think the girls should be allowed to come to Hoopers. And my buddy Joel at work was like, yeah, we would love to have some lady Hoopers. <laughs> he was so nice about it. And I was like, oh. I, I guess, can't be I right yeah in, in, enraged I get my I guess my rage is not justified <laughs> so I was like oh okay great <laughs> I'm over I'm over it. yeah I'm over it so I um, wanted to go with another girl so we could guard each other and I wouldn't be like the only one you know yeah and so I went with my friend Sierra and we went and it was a blast and we were supposed to go this morning and I was supposed to pick her up and I made her get up really early I didn't plug my phone in last night, probably because I had one too many glasses of wine watching The Bachelor. I don't plug my phone in, so my alarm doesn't go off. I, I it's wake, a shit show. Oh, my God. It's a shit show. <laughs> I wake up at 7 o'clock, which is when I'm supposed to be at the gym. Poor Sierra had like set her alarm, woken up, gotten all ready, realized I wasn't coming. I had like a million text messages from her and went back to bed. So then I was like, well... I'm really sorry, Sierra. Maybe can I make you a smoothie, you know, to make up for it? I'll bring you a smoothie at work. And she's like, okay. So I make this like big smoothie and I'm in the parking lot or in the parking garage getting ready to go to work. And what do I do? Dropped it. I dropped a freaking smoothie. I dropped the whole bag. So it like explodes in the bag. And it's like this chocolate smoothie. So it's like (laughs) gross, like brown color. Just everywhere and then i get to the door and i'm like i just need to get in the building and get this day started i forgot my goddamn key card oh no man it was it was like a rough day and it's tuesday it shouldn't i know it's only tuesday (laughs) 
<laughs> Tomorrow's a new day. Yeah. So. Right? But I got, I was able to salvage most of the smoothie. <laughs> got through my day. <laughs> and now I'm here with you. I love it. Well, but the good thing that happened is I found out I'm nominated for a company-wide award. What for, is this? For my boldness. It's a boldness award. That is you. You. <laughs> if I looked up boldness in the dictionary, it would have your oh, picture. Stop it. You know that's you. So I got nominated, so I'm hoping that I get it. That'd be pretty cool. I'm so proud but of you. But it was for starting my little uh, project. So yeah, I'll let you know about that. Well, I am really still struggling because I'm so close to being all the way through this reconstruction stuff that I just want to get past it. And this last week, you know, getting the ovaries and the tubes out was supposed to be a week. And I now know that I hear that translated to, well, that's for normal people. I should be okay in like two or three days. Huh? Oh, yeah. I think I should just bounce right back. Oh, that's what you told yourself. Oh, yeah. This is windy translation of, you mean a week? Ah, I'll be up and around in, <laughs> in a day or two. And it has been eight full days. I know. Today was the first day I felt like, oh, my gosh, I, I'm i really through this. Oh, good. So, and so then, it was exactly what the doctors yes, told you. Oh, I hate it when they're right. <laughs> Damn it. And then the big surgery is next Thursday, 23rd. Yes. yes. And so. then you're showing off your tatas in Mexico. <laughs> I am. That's going to be so I'm great. I'm going to carry them out in the world. There we go. And introduce them. <laughs> <laughs> That's going to be great. I know. I'm if, so happy that it's it's crazy because it. I'm sure it doesn't feel this way to you. But like a year ago, a little more than a year ago, yes. I remember I was sitting in Union Station when you called me so oh, upset yeah. from your first yeah. mammogram. Isn't that crazy? And now we're like all the yeah. way. It's so nuts. Well, and it's been so funny because I didn't know Carrie really, um, your potential maybe future mother-in-law. Yes. I don't know <laughs> what, what to call her. But Tuesday after we had the operation on Monday, uh-huh. somebody brought us dinner Monday night. It was so nice. And then on Tuesday night, she brought us dinner. And it was the best dinner ever. I know. It sounded so good. And I was jealous. And she brought flowers. And she brought the pineapple Ooh, it was like a pineapple salsa like a relish like oh, a salsa yum. she whole new bar because it was great it was, it like, was I like a whole I experience was, did she yeah. bring a server for you i thought it should be a there should be a tablecloth here <laughs> you know <laughs> there should be because there's flowers i mean it was just so nice oh and it just made great. it so i just i didn't want to put anything else on chris you know he's spent so yeah. much time lately oh having a meal is the best thing ever isn't it sometimes what, carrie will just send us home with dinner and it's just like oh thank god i, I know cook dinner. and it's like so good because it's a homemade meal oh it's so good it's, and oh, it's healthy yeah she did such a great job so way to go carrie we love you yeah we do love you yeah. you should have her chicken enchiladas those are really Ooh. good uh 23rd of january there's another <laughs> surgery so maybe some enchiladas the 25th how about that <laughs> okay now you're hey, milking it you know what at the beginning of this, I couldn't ask anything, anybody anything. And now when they say, what can I do for you? I said, chicken and gelatas. I'll say, bring lunch. I'd love to eat lunch with you. Look so, at you. So I'm not sitting by myself all day, you know, binge watching. It was night shift this last week. Night shift? I went shift? through four seasons of night shift. Jesus. Yeah. What is that? It's a cool, it's a, It's like a little um, hospital night shift it's show. It's a little like Grey's Anatomy-esque? Yeah, but okay. it was, it's just cute as a dickens. <laughs> 
cute as the Dickens. <laughs> All right, let's jump in because I love this this interview and the time we spent with this person. Wendy's like, guest. let's freaking do it. Let's do it. Okay, so in this episode of Big Girl Money, we have our first spec. And <laughs> maybe I'll just leave that in there. Yeah, so you jinxed yourself. Yeah. In this episode of Big Girl Money, our first segment will be the Big Girl Take, where we pick a topic and give you the millennial and the baby boomer perspective. And then we have an inspiring guest interview. Yes. A male guest interview. Yes. So the fourth. Shaking it up. Yeah, yes. our fourth male. <laughs> We're keeping count. Yes. And lastly, we will close with a Big Girl Spotlight. So thank you for listening. Now this is, I can't wait to hear what you think. Because okay. you have no idea what I'm going to say. No. Okay. I have not even looked at this even a little bit. All not right. that I'm not prepared. So, the title of our big gold take is Talking About Money is the Hot New Thing. Ooh, talking about money. Yes. Okay. So the New York Times recently wrote about how everywhere you turn, female friends and colleagues are actually quizzing each other about money. So it's everything from how much they make, their stock options or signing bonuses, how they negotiate, um, what their dream number is. And it was so cool as I started looking at this. It's just like you said last week, remember, where you started Googling and and it was so much neat information about it? Oh, yeah, I know. So there's this great organization called Ladies Get Paid. Oh, like that. Like the sound of that. Right? They have a membership of 60,000 women. And they hold events called Ladies Get Coffee. In mm. fact, there's one in Denver on okay. Friday morning. I was thinking about going. Okay. But it seems the founder, Ms. Wasserman, um, often asked attendees to state their desired salary number. Oh. And it's a number that makes you uncomfortable. Whoa. Uh-huh. Wait, so it's your... Okay. What you want for your salary. Yeah. That is so big that they you make... feel uncomfortable... Thinking about it and saying it out loud. Oh. She makes, she asks people to say that number out loud. Okay. She says it's fascinating to watch how people respond. Mm. So I thought, Ronnie, what if we had you <laughs> say your number? Is it like a number like what I would like to be making by the end of 2020? Or like by the end of my career? No, it is the number that if you were real ballsy, most of the time we limit what we asked for, right? We've right. talked all about this. Yeah. This is a number that you actually shake a little bit when you say it. And I'll give you a perfect example. Okay. This happened to me when I got an opportunity to do one of my first big keynotes in Philadelphia. Uh-huh. And they said, okay, what is your rate? And I said, $20,000 <laughs> for a one-hour keynote. I freaking love that. And it... Was this an in-person conversation or is this on the phone? Thank the Lord on the phone. Okay. Okay. But it's one of those things where you go $20,000 and, and, and you immediately go, I know you cover your face like, Oh yeah. What's she going to say? And, um, and I got it. And they said, okay, Mm -hmm. damn snaps for Wendy. Oh yeah. I would snap if I could. And this is cool. If I got a bunch of women who speak for a living Mm -hmm. and I put them in a room and I said, I want to know what your number is. Yeah. What's your desired number that you get paid to speak for all day workshop? Could you say $40,000 and say it with a straight face? 
Yeah. Right? It makes you uncomfortable to think about it. Okay. Ah, they because what we do is we do all that stuff, right? They'll never give us that. So your salary number that you'd like to be making right now. For the current job that I do? No. Uh, that's what's hard. Like yes. is it think about it as what you want to be doing. We've talked about where you want to go next. Yeah. It's in that job. Okay. They're sitting there. And I say, and you have to say out loud, what is your desired salary? What are you worth? $130,000. Damn, girl. That was good. <laughs> okay. How did it feel? Felt horrible. That it, it, it didn't look horrible. Really? I uh-uh. felt like I was going to puke. Oh, my God. I've you recovered, are though. such a good actress. <laughs> because you really looked. I mean, I wish, I wish you had video here, people. <laughs> But you did. But you've job. put me through some uh, trainings. Like we've done many a mock negotiation. So it's I very feel true. like I'm a little more prepared. It's true. <laughs> and what I love about this is it gets you to start being used to saying what you think you should get paid, and you'll you'll rise to that. If you're paying me 130000 I can be doing a lot of things for you. So give me the big stuff that matters. Like give me the the tough clients that you want to double the revenue in give me those people you, <laughs> i love it so i just thought this was kind of a neat, neat it is i totally agree it's like so powerful to say things out loud yeah it's so much scarier in your head and then when you say it out loud and you're manifesting i just I love yes. the whole thing yeah and so i took this one piece but my hope is that all our big girl money listeners actually treat talking about money the way ms wasserman does she says Talking about money is like a sexy thing. It's not boring. It's not scary. It's not something to be ashamed of. I would add it's something we all need to not only be comfortable at, but actually kick ass at. So cool. And that's how I I was thinking about it. I love that she has this organization because there's some issues that we talk about with women in the workplace that it's largely... The problem is driven by like men and how they view us. Mm -hmm. And then there's issues that are like women and the way we view ourselves. Yes. And I think salary, the more research I've done, I've learned a big part of it is in our own heads. Like obviously there's unconscious bias and all that. I don't want to take away from that. But a lot of it. It's self-limiting. Right. The really eye-opening thing for that was when you told me that stat, and this I think connects back to your big girl take, that for a woman to go for a job, she has to have like 80% of the mm-hmm. qualifications or something. And men have to have 60. Or, yeah. Or I think it was 40. No, way lower. Yeah. It's like. It was ridiculous. Yes. Yeah. So much lower. Yeah. And I think it's the same thing. Like men convince themselves that they're worth more money, even if they don't have every single qualification. And women, it's like, if I'm going to ask for that much, I better have yeah. like every single qualification right. here. And I don't think any of that is like inherently male or female traits. I think so much of it is how we're brought up. Yeah. Like we're just not brought up to be as aggressive or believe in ourselves yeah, as much. I agree. And she's she's like taking you to believe in yourself camp. She is. And a woman in the article, 25-year-old software engineer at Instagram, her name is Samantha. Uh-huh. She is so passionate about wanting women to have this ability to do this money talk mm-hmm. that she recently turned a Thanksgiving dinner in San Francisco with a dozen or so girlfriends into something of a salary confessional. How oh, cool is that? Where they all had to say their salary. Yeah, and they all talked about money and 
what they're getting and what they think they should be getting and just getting all that taboo stuff out right oh, to start i love talking. that isn't that cool i think the coolest thing about that is i can guarantee there is a woman at that dinner that said oh i'm making sixty thousand, but i really feel like i've been there this long and i've done all this i should be making 70 or 80 but i don't know and then all these other women are like yeah you definitely should and then she's like you're right i should why haven't i asked for this yeah it's like somebody just that voice in your head that's doubting it you need your friends to like I tell agree. that voice to shut up so the last point i want to make is on this big old take is we've mentioned in our earlier negotiating your assets episode off yes um that the worst part of asking other people about their money is asking what their salary is mm-hmm. this is we we said this is really tough yeah well the article had a great example of another option of how to bring that up okay so it was i show up and i want you to tell me your salary okay right um ronnie i was talking to another friend about how they share their salary figures and i am trying to understand if other people do this so i was wondering do you do this would you <laughs> feel okay telling me your salary i'll tell you mine Oh. And I thought it was such a good way to, to bring it up. Yeah, it is. Because then it's kind of, it, it explains why you're asking. Yes. So then my guard isn't up. Like, why does she want to know that? Yeah. Yeah. Instead of saying, hey, would you share your salary with me? It's like, too quick, too fast. <laughs> you know, <laughs> ease me into this. <laughs> I do think the whole, like, you shouldn't talk about money or share your salary is kind of an older generation mm-hmm. thing. Don't you think? Because mm-hmm. I feel like a lot of people in my generation aren't as worried about it but maybe that's just because a lot of us aren't married yet don't have kids so it's not as like i agree stressful of a topic but well so we want to leave the listeners with talking about money and getting good at it is sexy it's sexy do you like it yes okay that's great all right well on that note let's introduce (laughs) our interview yes interviewee Our guest today is Kurt Hans. After leasing his soul to a finance career, hitting it big time with a 12-year run as an SVP in a private equity firm, Kurt bewildered his colleagues and disappointed his parents (laughs) by founding a coffee roasting company. Ampersand is not just any coffee. It offers sustainably sourced, organic, fair trade coffee. But what really sets Ampersand apart is Kurt's passion for empowering the women of the coffee farming communities. So an amazing company with an amazing mission led by an amazing dude. So do your catchphrase, Wendy. Roll the, Roll in- the interview. <laughs> God. I didn't know I had a catchphrase. You do. You say it every time. I do. Roll the Roll interview. Roll the interview because I want to be in charge, I guess. That's right. Okay. I've been drooling over having a coffee connoisseur, a coffee <laughs> geek here. So what is Ampersand? A wholesaler, roaster, buyer? Can you just explain for us not familiar with the whole coffee supply chain and how you decide to go that route? Sure. Yeah. First off, thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. It's an honor <laughs> to be here on your show. So Yay! thank you for that. Thank you. thank you. Sorry I was microwaving my coffee when yeah, you walked that's in. All right. I was, I was going to not say something. I was like, I can't. I, I have to say something. <laughs> that was not my best look. I love the way you said it too. You went you're microwaving that coffee 
like, uh, are you killing small children in the other room too? And then, I mean, and then he said, I'm not judging. That's what his yes. mouth said. But yes. his face said, I'm, I'm judging. It was so much that. I, I just had it. to have it though. I needed to pick me up. Um, but amp- ampersand, ampersand, we are a wholesale coffee roaster um, based in Boulder, Colorado. And we supply coffee shops, hotels, restaurants, uh, grocery stores, um, and we have an online presence as well for individuals. Wow. How'd you come up with the name? Uh, it was a long process. Um, you know, picking a name for a company is really difficult. Picking Isn't a name, it? Yeah. It's, you should have seen us going through the podcast. Oh, my gosh. Well, this is our second. Yes, this is our second yes. name. Google any name with coffee, and pretty much it's already taken. Oh, yeah. Because yeah. there's so bummer. many coffee shops. Yeah, yeah. and there's so many yeah. roasters. So it was difficult. We went through a process. We had a creative person helping us with it. And then um, actually a guy I was working with early in the business threw out the name, and we just loved it. it it's perfect because it embodies everything we're about. You know, it's the ampersand, the ampersand symbol, mm-hmm. which not everybody knows. It means and. It's a yeah. conjunction, and it brings things together. Yes. And that's oh. what our company is all about. So Beautiful. it fit really well. We Googled it. No one had it. And so we're like, we're doing it. <laughs> we're in. Man. Plus, yeah. it like looks cool. I feel like there's a lot you can do with like, oh, branding totally. with an percent Yes. Totally. And if it's hard to draw, it looks cool. Yeah. It's and really it hard starts with one. an A. So we're usually at the top of lists. Oh, you're so Which right. is nice, too. Oh, my God. It's perfect. Yeah. Have you always been passionate about coffee? Always been a coffee drinker? How old were you when you had your first cup of coffee? Uh, I remember I was around 10 years old. It oh was gosh. at the Coffee Cup Cafe in Becker, Minnesota with my grandmother and my mom. Um, it was a cold winter day, and that's where they used to hang out was the the Coffee Cup Cafe. Oh. And they're like, do you want some coffee? And they, you know, I think they were kidding. And I was like, sure. And then I loaded up with sugar, yes. and then I kind of got that coffee high. I was like, ooh, this is pretty good. And <laughs> That's kind of when I fell in love with coffee. And then I drank it with sugar for a long time and then drank it throughout college as well. And it kind of helped me Mm -hmm. get good grades throughout college. Right. Um, I relied on it. That's kind of when I started depending on coffee. (laughs) And I love this. I hadn't thought about my own coffee experience forever, but we had a cabin in Carolina that we still have since I was born. And on the way there, there was a truck stop and my dad would would take us and it was these... um, kind of tan truck stoppy kind of cups oh yeah i know what you're talking about and he said now to drink like the truckers you have to slurp it out of your spoon (laughs) or he was saying slurp it out of your cup they go yeah you know and so we would slurp it out of our spoons because we didn't want to be burned but so that memory has stuck with me as such uh it's just such, it puts a smile on my face whenever I think about it. Yeah. And oh, how nice. about you? When was the first, your first coffee? I actually also remember mine. I remember we were having a yard sale and my mom, we had like all of our stuff in the garage and on the yard and my mom brewed coffee and brought it outside for the shoppers to have some coffee. And I asked her if I could have some and she said she didn't think I would like it. And she said, well, I'll put a bunch of sugar and milk in it and maybe you'll like it. So I did. It was like half sugar and yeah. milk, yes. and I topped it off with the yard sale coffee. Yes, and I liked it. Yeah, and we I think that too. was in like eighth grade. I think I was probably like thirteen wow. or fourteen. And no milk. I mean, a, a real coffee drink, drinker has it black. Uh, I mean, people can drink it however they want. I don't judge on on how people drink it, and I think okay. people like it with milk. They don't like it with milk. That's fine with me. Okay. Um, it's it's individuality. Mm-hmm. No one's to say whatever somebody else likes. In my opinion. I could tell you meant it that time. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and I love your mission. Um, The Ampersand Coffee exists to provide the highest quality coffee experience to our customers by supporting women's empowerment, environment, 
sustainability, and upward spirals. So why stop there? What about world hunger here, Kurt? <laughs> right. I mean, right. this is a huge undertaking. How did you get passionate about these things? And what the hell is upward spirals? I want. I can imagine what it is, but yeah. And so, um, you know, kind of backing up to when I started drinking coffee in college, and then when I got out of college, I was um, working downtown Denver in an office job and drinking a lot of coffee and you know there was four coffee shops within a block of where I was and I was just drinking coffee all day long and then at some point I realized I have no idea where this coffee comes from like is it a fruit is it a nut is it grown below ground like a peanut or a potato or where is it grown I have no idea did they grow it in the U.S. and so I did a little research on coffee uh, learned where it is grown uh, why it grows there uh, learned that it's grown in very exotic places along the equator also inevitably learned the despair that coffee farmers are in. Um, you know, when, when the, some of the articles I was reading were saying that coffee farmers were getting up to 25 cents a pound for their coffee. It's like, and this is back in 1999, wow. 2000. I was like, I just paid $16 for a 12-ounce bag of coffee. Like, who's making all the money on the coffee, and why yeah. aren't more people doing fair trade coffee? Totally. I was like, it seems like to me I could do an entire company that does only fair trade coffee, not just one skew, but do all fair trade coffee, have a business that you feel pretty good about, and it's actually making an impact in the world. And it's... Do other people do this or is this pretty edgy? I I think there's a few out there. I I think we probably take it further than 99.9% of people out there. Okay. And we're proud of that. And, you know, it's part of our mission. But, you know, along the way, you know, fair trade's one solution. And Mm -hmm. and the the plight is real. And it's been going on for generations in coffee farming lands. And these people struggle mightily every single day just to get by. Um, And I think, you know, as a naive American, I didn't know about it. Mm. Uh, When I learned about it, it was harder to not make better choices to try to at least do a little bit to try to help them out. So when I started Ampersand, um, you know, we were dedicated to doing all fair trade coffee. Um, and then, you know, the environment's always been a passion of mine as well. So I wanted to do all organic. And to me, um, organic is e- equally about the environment as it is about um, your own digestive health. When and you- how is that? How is it about the, how is organic about the environment? It's just not using the pesticides, not using right. the things that are harsh on the land? Yeah, that's exactly right. So it does, it's it's chemical free, essentially, when okay, they, got when it. they uh farm the coffee, which means that uh, harmful chemicals are not getting into the water supply. They're not hurting the ecosystem. They're not hurting the farmers and the neighboring communities. Remember, a a lot of places where coffee is grown, they don't have water treatment plants. And Mm. so their water is not filtered and they're just drinking chemicals. So um, to me, it's very important for environmental reasons that coffee is organic. Wow. Uh, And what exactly does it mean fair trade coffee? Yeah, fair trade is a system that um, provides a fair price, and it's designed to be a sustainable price for farmers. Okay. So they can um, subsist and also invest in the future. And part of fair trade premium goes to programs in their community that will help them uh, improve the community. Okay, got Mm. it. But how did the women's piece of it come in? Yeah, so that was the other piece, and we wanted to be even more. So beyond fair trade, beyond organic – we, we wanted to be specific. I want, I'd like to do things that actually make an impact. And so we were looking for something else to do. Um, and there's lots of different ideas. You know, we could do specific projects or we could do Rainforest Alliance or we could do Smithsonian Bird Friendly. Um, and it was right about the time when some articles came out with the Specialty Coffee Association about gender equality and how unequal and out of balance gender equality is in uh, coffee farming lands. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, it's a big issue in the U.S. still, but in these countries, it's a major issue, and wow. they are so far behind where we are. But 
um, the studies show that uh, when women are empowered and they are put in positions of power, things change in the family. The dynamics change in the mm-hmm. family. They're more respected. They tend to spend money differently. Women spend money and they tend to spend 90% of their income on their family and invest in nutrition and health and mm-hmm. education. Um, so what what the point is, is that when you invest in women in the coffee farming lands, it leads to stronger families, which leads to stronger communities, which leads to ideal and better ways to do environmental sustainability. Wow. Yeah. And so when we learned that there was special co-ops that we could purchase from and work with to source our coffee, it was kind of a no-brainer. Wow. It's like, yeah, absolutely. Let's do this. Yeah. And what do those co-ops do to like ensure that women at those places have leadership positions and yeah. all that? Or why did you even have to go through a co-op to do it? Could you have done it we could direct? Have. We could have done it direct. Um, but as a small company, to, to import and to roast and to market and sell is a lot to do. Um, and there's an organization out there called Cafe Feminino, <laughs> which uh, we purchase most of our coffee from right now. And they have programs in place already. So partner instead right. of recreating the wheel. Right. And so, you know, in order to set up this coffee and become certified by Cafe Feminino, they, women have to have land ownership. They have to be mm. in positions of trust uh, or positions of authority. And they also have the the ability to meet as a group, which surprisingly in these countries, um, by convention, they haven't been allowed to in the past, Wow! among other things. And so they put the program together and guide these women on how to create and form the co-op. And then that co-op gets a premium. And the the beautiful part of the premium is uh, two cents from every pound of coffee that we buy goes directly to the women. It cannot go to the family account. It can't go to the husband. It goes directly into a bank account of the woman. Oh. Uh, of the family. So she now has purchasing power. So she's seen differently in the family and in the community, because in a lot of these places, women don't even have bank accounts. It's all controlled and run by the men. Wow. Uh, And when they meet as a group, it's also very impactful that they help each other out. They solve problems in the community. Um, And these things weren't happening before, because uh, by convention, women were supposed to stay at home and be dutiful to their their own households so wow amazing yeah it's a really impactful group and i'm not sure personally i could improve upon it so that's why we work with cafe yeah makes sense and then what's an upward spiral yes thank you (laughs) i'm hoping it's opposite of a downward spiral then you're exactly right it's that's exactly it's the 100 percent opposite but what is the word for the you know we all know what a downward spiral is and what happens when you do something that leads to another bad decision leads to another bad decision the idea is what we're trying to do with ampersand is do something good locally that will lead to something better locally that will lead to something better locally so what is the word for that Upward spiral. I guess. <laughs> I, but, I think it, we just made it up. I like it. But, I like it too. You don't hear it that often. No, so. no, it's very innovative. In fact, you're such a different twist on a startup. I mean, it's for profit, but it does all these great things. Did you know going into this that you wanted to do that and make such different choices? And you had a whole career before this. Right. So, because you were finance. Yeah, I was finance. Right. Yep. And had 12 years as an SVP at, at a private equity firm, right? Yep, yep. I mean, how do you go from that to decide not only to do a startup, but one that's so unique? Yeah, I think, you know, to answer your first question, yes, that was always the idea behind the business. And, you know, my idea for the business 20 years ago when I hashed out the little business model, it's was like, yeah, of course I could run a business and import this coffee. I actually could have airmailed the coffee from Tanzania when I was looking at it to Denver and then roasted it and then still sold it for a profit. And amazing. I was like, this is a kind of a no brainer. Um, I tried to put a business together 20 years ago and yeah. just, I wasn't in the right place to do it. I was working a lot. Um, I was young, I was married. 
Um, and I had a lot of student loan debt. So it was not something I could do back then. But then I was able to grow up, got in a very comfortable job, uh, worked really, really hard. So when I say I was leasing my soul to finance, I was. Um, you know, it was a lot of work. I probably worked the equivalent of a career and a half in yeah. those yeah. last 12 and years. A lot of just, people do that. Yeah. And it was it was fun at first. It's great work. It's yeah. great mental work. It's um, good for the young, I yeah, think. Yeah, <laughs> I agree. And then it got to the point, you know, I'm 47 now, um, but it got to the point when I was around 40 where it was just, all right, this is not challenging anymore. It's yeah. more of a grind. Yeah. Uh, we're doing good, fun, exciting things, but I've kind of seen all this before. Yeah. And uh, the coffee idea was always in the back of my head. And, you know, it wasn't so much a dream as it was a vision of something that just made a lot of sense that mm-hmm. I wanted to do. And I had kept up with coffee over the years and read a lot of books about coffee and said, all right, if I'm going to do it, you know, you know, I'm 40 years old. I'm either going to do it or I'm not yeah. going to do it. So, yeah. Is it ever tempting to cut some of those corners so that you can have a bigger profit? Or has it always just been easy to like make the right ethical decisions just because that's been your goal from the beginning? Yeah, I think baking into to our mission was really mm-hmm. important because there is no room for cheating when it's in your mission, right? Wow. It's who you are. And so I think it's mm-hmm. pretty powerful to put it into your mission. And that way, um, you really can't cut corners. Yeah, because you'd be like compromising what the company's all about. Right. That is such a good question. <laughs> Thanks, Wendy. Well, I just wonder, you hear like a business like this that's so cool, makes money and has all these pos- is impacting the world positively. And you just wonder like, why don't more people do yeah. that? And at the end of the day, it's because it's cheaper not to do it yeah. that way. But if you bake it into the mission, exactly. And then you have a family. I mean, how old's your son? He's 14. 14. Yep. And how has that been in terms of starting a business when your family's kind of, uh, it could be have an impact? Yeah, I think I think it does have an impact. Um, having a small business is like having a child. Like it, it is something <laughs> that you constantly need to pay attention to. It constantly is demanding things. Um, yes. It's constantly demanding your time. And if you drop the ball or take your attention away from it, bad things are going to happen. Um, yes. So it's it's a lot like a child. I mean, a child obviously is is much more intrinsically important than a business, but it commands as much attention as a business does at times so well sometimes it actually sucks every bit of time it can get from you and right. you have to i remember i'd have to stop and say i have to stop you know it, yeah. it felt like you could work 24 7 right and that's not healthy no because that impacts the other real family yep. right absolutely so how how have you learned to deal with that what lessons have you learned if you think you've done a good job of it? I think I've done okay. I think I could do better. Uh, I'm very two-dimensional, and I have been for the last five years. So it's okay. it's work and my son, and it's mostly my son and work in that order. Wow. Um, and that's pretty much all I've been doing. Wow. Uh, yeah, but it's, you know, this dream's important to me, and uh, my employees are important to me, and I have to get everything I can. You know, you get one chance at something like this. So yeah. that's how I feel about it. So I put a lot into it. Do you think he'll have an entrepreneurial spirit because of seeing you do this? <laughs> Maybe, maybe not. He might be like, I don't want anything to do to with do that. <laughs> yeah. That, that looks like a nightmare. Yeah, yeah. He sees my up and downs. We're very tight. So nice. um, he, he sees the up and downs and he knows what it takes, I think, at this point. That's, and how do, do you feel like a gender intelligent guy? Because when we first met and had coffee to talk to you about coming on the podcast, you really, I was so impressed with you. And so do you, do you feel good about where you're at with your gender intelligence at this point or even just your in- inclusivity and the way you you look at marginalized people, that kind of thing. Yeah, first of all, thanks for that. I appreciate that. Sure. Um, I, I don't 
no, I don't feel that gender intelligent. I think um, I learned a lot about it, and I've learned a lot about it where my education started really was in the coffee lands and reading about it there. And then I think the benefit to that is that I started becoming more aware of it and started looking for it and started seeing it all over the place, mm-hmm. just locally in my own business um, right. and, and kind of just everywhere. And I think once you're aware and actually trying to see it, you will see it all over the place. Yeah. And and as a, a man growing up, you don't, it's not right in your face all the time. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, but you know, I'm proud of what I do now. Um, I still make mistakes and I still slip up, but for the most part, I think I'm, I'm pretty good. Great. That's yeah. great. How are it. you different as a coffee boss versus a finance boss? Like, is there anything you did in finance that you're like, okay, I'm definitely not going to take that into the business (laughs) or like I rocked at that. I'm definitely going to take that into the coffee business. I think it's been hard um, trying to be good at everything. Whereas in the finance business, you know, my job was I I was head of tax of this organization, this global private equity firm. And so, you know, I had a team of people around the globe that I could call and talk to. And I had a really great network that I had built up and I was project management. Um, And so I, I became really good at that. I had really good relationships with really helped me do my job. But then, you know, moving that into like a CEO role doesn't not translate um, so well. First of all, I had a lot to learn about coffee and the practicalities of coffee, roasting coffee, distributing coffee, pricing coffee. Um, But then you're also setting the tone as an entrepreneur. So now I have to set the objectives, which wasn't something I was used to. Mm -hmm. People would use it. All right, here's the project. Go do it. I had to come up with the project in the first place (laughs) and then share that vision with other people, which is difficult to do. So I think the most important thing is my drive. I've always been a hard worker, and I think that's the thing that's translated the best. Um, but as far as the rest of it, I had a lot to learn. I still do. So. Wow. So I love this idea of you talk about optimizing people's coffee experience. Yes. Ooh. Uh, what does that mean to you? I love this one, um, and my employees hate it because I talk about it all the time. <laughs> but, you know, coffee experience is more than just drinking coffee. And so I'll talk about the tasting room first. There's a difference between a wholesale experience and a coffee shop experience, but it's easier to describe in the concept of our tasting room where a customer comes in to get a cup of coffee. So an experience is not just what's in the cup. It's not just producing a nice latte that tastes good. To me, the experience start as soon as they're in the parking lot, right? And so we focus on the five senses. And so it's, what do you see when you walk in? What does it smell? What do you smell when you walk in? What are you hearing when you walk in? Um, And how are you feeling when you walk in? And, and you don't even taste the coffee till you leave usually with your to-go cup because it's oh, too hot. So yeah. I, I want our people to focus on all of those five senses. And when you focus on all of those, you can make the experience a little bit better. Did I feel greeted when I came in? Did I feel appreciated when I came in? Did it smell good? Did I like the music that was mm-hmm. on? Um, was I looking at dirt in a corner? Or was I looking at a pleasant roaster that's right. clean and well-maintained? Right. Um, was there so much echo in the room that it was just too much noise, right? right? It's all of that. Right. And so all of that is part of the experience. And that's, I like to focus on the holistic customer experience. Um, So everything about how they interact with Ampersand goes in a good way. Wow. Um, Yeah. And then on the retail side or the wholesale side, um, you know, our bags are designed to be very user-friendly. They look, they're going to look nice on your counter. They're going to stand up. It's not one of those round bottoms that's falling over on your counter. Same with the grocery store That is a pain in the ass. How smart. Right. And we have a little Ziploc on the top of the bag. Yeah. So so... you can seal it and it will stay fresh longer. Right. For our wholesale clients, we have an app so they can download it on their phone. It's super easy for them to order. There's clear rules. Um, It's a brand. You're building a huge brand distinction with the way people experience working with you. Right. I love it. Yeah. 
I wish more businesses figured this out. Well, it's, some of it's not intuitive, um, surprisingly. But it feels a little like Apple. You know how Apple has that, you know, like the app. They're They're really good at the experience thing. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Right? You walk into an Apple store and you feel like you're on a different planet. Oh, yeah. (laughs) I mean, when Ronnie and I went over to the pot shop over here. A Hoya? A Hoya? Or a Joya? I was like, this is like an Apple store. It literally. Have you ever been in there? No. It was crazy. It's insane. Like, the furniture is all white. It's so clean. They have these, like, neon colored lights that, like, run under the furniture. It's like... It's like an Apple store, and but it's, for weed. And it's crazy. My daughter's in Montana, and she can get it. She's 21 now. And so she told me they're like the back of a farmer's shed. That's what their dispensary looks like. Yeah. In fact, her and her, her friend Mac were in there, and as they're pouring in the how much people want into a bag, a plastic, a little plastic see-through bag, it goes on, they just let it fall on the table. And so her and her friend said, what are you going to do with all that that's sitting on the table? And they said, we're just going to throw it away. And they said, can we have it? And the guys brushed it into a bag and took, and they took it home. So what a different experience yeah. going into a Montana dispensary as opposed to a Voya, right? But also some people <laughs> probably don't want their dispensary to look that fancy. Yeah, you're right. Some people right. who have been like smoking weed for forever walk in and are like, I don't fit here. Yeah. Yeah, They want like kind of the grimy. It's the yuppie. Yeah. (laughs) It's kind of what you expect. Yeah. Yeah. Used to. Yeah. Right. In the beginning. Oh my God. But I, I love going to coffee shops instead of Starbucks. Are they the evil empire? I don't think as far as a big company goes, they're not a bad company. Okay. Um, Because a friend of ours that's into the whole coffee roasting himself, he said that they actually burn their beans to make them all consistent. Yeah. Uh, to them, consistency is more important. So if you think about the global distribution of Starbucks, they want their blend to taste the same in California and New York and Tokyo or yeah, wherever. So right, if you're yeah. getting a cup of that coffee, it's important, just like McDonald's, it's important to taste the same plate everywhere. Yeah. But the thing about coffee is all coffee beans taste differently. And that's one of the things that we're proud to exploit is that and we want people to understand is that every single coffee bean tastes different. There's a lot of different flavor profiles yeah. in coffee. So the challenge for Starbucks is they're buying entire areas of coffee uh. and all these coffee beans taste differently. So if they're trying to get a blend that tastes consistently, they have to roast it dark because all coffees tend to taste the same the darker you roast them. Interesting. So that's why they take them so dark. They need to because consistency is more important than wow. uniqueness. Why, whereas wow. you want every cup to be a surprise and an experience. Well, <laughs> you want to taste it and go, ooh, this is different. <laughs> right. Well, we don't have the volume. We want the same coffees to taste the same okay, all okay. the time. but yeah. Uh, we can highlight the individualities in coffees because we're just not at that scale. And Whoops. we can, you know, be hard for us to buy an entire lot from a farm. So Yeah, totally. Do people talk about terroir with coffee like they do with wine? Is I'm, Am I saying terroir. that right? I don't Ter- know this. Ter- I don't know the term. It's I'm like sorry. when you like taste a wine, you can like taste where it's from through the tasting note. Like the- if you bought a California wine that was produced the same year they had all those fires and it tasted smoky, that would be like terroir because oh. it like tells a story sort of oh. thing do you know what i mean wow. N- not the same way okay. um i mean there are tasty notes in coffee and it's generally um uh unique to origins mm-hmm. um mm. but it, they don't change much seasonally uh, okay. like oh this season they're especially fruity 
Um, that doesn't really happen with coffee. Okay. Wow. But it'll taste different based on like the climate where it's grown. Yep. The climate of okay. uh, volcanic soil. Uh, mm. If there's phosphates in the soil, that will affect the flavor of the coffee. Okay. Um, yeah. It's so it's the it's the soil and it's the climate. The altitude as well plays a limit and how cold it gets at night. Um, ah. All these things impact how the bean develops in that little cherry. So Sounds so much like wine. Yeah, it kind of is. It, it great. is. Yeah. yeah. And it's actually, there's uh, there's more coffee uh, flavor potentials in coffee than there are in wine. I think wine, there's like 85 different flavor potentials. Uh, oh. With coffee, it's something like 150. That's wow. crazy. Yeah. People just don't know it because yeah. we've been brought up on Folgers and Maxwell House, which have the same Starbucks model. Well, let's be honest. I go up to our little Paul's Coffee right over here and I walk in and they have three different kinds and I go, I just close my eyes and pick one. Yeah. I don't have any idea yeah. what I'm picking. It's almost like we need to be educated about coffee. Yeah, that's great. So we should come in and do a cupping with us. Let's that do would be it. so yeah, fun. Big girl road trip. Yeah. Big girl field trip. Road trip. <laughs> yes. We'll find out which coffees you like. You'll I like that. That would be great. You'll walk out of there knowing exactly what that kind of coffee That would be so like. fun because Ronnie is a bit of a little coffee snob. I mean, she she always wants to <laughs> go. Outside to, of the microwave. To, uh, yeah, yeah, yes. Yeah. That was not my best snob <laughs> moment. <laughs> no, she's also will get in with whatever she's got to deal with. So I've seen her go to McDonald's too. Let's be honest. <laughs> That coffee's not bad, actually. So you currently serve as a board member, treasurer, and finance committee member of the human rights organization, International Women's Coffee Alliance. So can you tell us about that organization? Yes. It they, sounds amazing. Yeah, they are an amazing group of women, um, and I am blessed to be working with them. Uh, How'd that happen, by the way? Yeah, I'll tell you how it happened, because it's an interesting story. Um you know, given women's empowerment is baked into our uh, mission statement, it's something that we have to do. And a question I was always grappling with was, well, if I'm not buying a Cafe Feminino coffee that is supporting these women directly, uh, how do I say that I'm promoting women's empowerment with everything that I sell? And so um, Cafe Feminino is one organization, and I can buy their coffee directly. But can I scale that? Not so much. Uh, mm. The scale ability is limited. And I, we're working on how to scale that with them. You know, why, when, why are they limited in terms of I, how they I scale? I think they're just, they're just their growth right now okay. and their, their locations um, with where they're at. They just don't have that scale ability. Right. And other people want their coffee too. So I'm ah, not the only person that gets it. Got it. Yeah. So, you know, also there's other beautiful coffees out there that I also want to purchase. So, you know, I was scratching my head and I've known about the IWCA, the International Women's Coffee Alliance, for mm -hmm. a while. And so um, I started talking to them and arranged to do a sustaining partnership with them where I pledged a certain amount of money for over a three-year period with them so I could be a sustaining partner. And then it's like, okay, now that gives me, you know, if I'm not buying a women empowering coffee directly, I'm, at least I'm doing that. And then mm -hmm. I was taking a little bit further because they, they do have coffees produced by these International Women's Coffee Alliance um, chapters as well. But they're really difficult to get for someone like me oh. um, because you have to work with, you know, 12 different people in 12 different countries that speak 12 different languages oh, so i was like i can't do that and i talked to the director about it and i was i was like Kel, I'm, it's really difficult for small roasters to do this i would love to buy your coffee but it's just yeah. it's not practical we don't have the capacity to do that and so we started talking i was like well what if we um did a co-venture where uh, we decided to donate percentage of our revenue to the iwca uh for everything that we sell uh and they were 
happy with that arrangement. Yeah, and like, they, well, you don't mind you giving us money yeah, exactly. to improve <laughs> well, I mean, our mission. <laughs> they, and they had thought about that before, but I think I, I kind of helped push them into that for ampersand anyway. You know, so we signed up when we do a half percent. So half percent of our global revenue goes to the IWCA. So now we can say that, you know, everything that we sell, whether it's a t-shirt or a mug or whatever it is, supports women's empowerment. Very Um, cool. Yeah. And they are a fantastic organization. There's 24 chapters in 24 countries around the globe. And their mission is to promote and sustain women's empowerment and give them the tools that they need and the network that they need to be successful and meaningful uh, and live sustainable, meaningful lives. Wow. Within the coffee industry. Yes. Does that mean like roasters and... Yep. So they go up and down the supply chain. And okay. so they'll deal with uh, farmers uh, as well as roasters and mm-hmm. business owners. Um, baristas. Baristas. Yep. Yeah. The yep. whole, all the way from the bean to the person that hands you your cup. <laughs> yep. That's right. <laughs> I like that. How did you first learn um, like to make a good cup of coffee or like make a latte? Because I remember when I worked at a restaurant, we had... We needed to learn how to make lattes and cappuccinos, and I thought that it was going to be like I take one class and then I can like make this beautiful, like yeah. unicorn foam latte, <laughs> and it's so hard. Yeah, it's an art, and I will tell you, I can't do latte art. Okay, it's something that's practiced. Um, yeah, and over time you will get good at. It. I've never been a barista actually. Wow. So um, that's not my shtick. Um, but <laughs> even I have... though you could do an undercover boss and do that one day, right? I could. They would. They would find him though. <laughs> They'd be like, this doesn't look good. What are you doing, man? <laughs> right. I can pull shots of espresso uh, and I can make a latte or a cappuccino or a cortado, uh, uh-huh. but I'm not going to make it as well as someone that's doing it a yeah. hundred times per day. Mm-hmm. So it's not so, it's not a skill I've developed. I think once I get more comfortable in the business, I'd love to, to do that and oh, become very skilled at it. But right now there's a lot of other things I need to do um, with the business. Yeah. Not your top priority. No. Right. Fair enough. And yeah, not and the right to, an- we should be to answer your question, time. I hire smart, talented people that um, are able to do that. Is yes. there a barista school? Uh, there are a lot of different ways to train as a barista. Okay. Yes. Wow. Uh, we offer it to our customers and their uh, baristas so they can come into our shop um, and they can train with us. They can shadow with us behind the bar. Oh, that's fun. Or we go out there. Our trainer, Carissa, goes out and works with them. Yeah, and so that's part of being in the wholesale coffee business. That's so cool. I love that. Yeah. I love Wendy, it. Wendy, that's how we should start your bachelorette party. Is... We'll start in the morning with a latte class. Oh, make I like our own it. lattes. And then we can move on to the next the bachelorette party. She's so funny. I love bachelorette Maybe, parties. You guys should stop by. Okay. That's These okay. younger women, they know how to party, man. <laughs> Everything is a reason to party. So. It's true. Gender reveal parties, bachelorette parties. Yeah, they don't just go to the local bar when they get married. They're going to Vegas. They're going to California. Every bachelorette party is a destination now. (laughs) It's true. Now, do you think there's any learnings that you could take from what you've done in terms of incorporating this mission on women's empowerment that others could take into other industries? I mean, if you had to give an advice, say Bezos came to you and said, hey, how you doing, Kurt? I see you've done some amazing things with the women's empowerment in the coffee industry. What could I do in Amazon? So what would you say? I mean, that was a great impersonation. I thought he was here for a second. I know, me too. (laughs) Southern and everything. It's a good facial expression, too. I did. Hey, Kurt. Hey, did you like the way I was acting all big and bad? Hey, I'm, I'm worth, what is he? billions yeah like some a, ridiculous thing like yeah uh I, I would say be aware and i think that's the the most important thing so in my own organization you know i'm constantly aware of it we've got 
10 or 11 employees right now. And I'm aware of it. You know, I, I can see what's happening and I can compare and I can keep an eye on things. I think in an organization the size of Amazon, I think it'd be really difficult oh, to totally. scale that. And I think, uh, I think you'd have to push it down. You'd have to have somebody in charge of that. Um, yeah. or you'd have to push it down to the managers in your training and say, here's what you need to do. Um, here's the, the usual suspects where you'll find gender inequality. I mean, gender inequality, first of all, is good for everybody, right? Yeah. I think we all know that here anyway. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah. It's important. It makes your business better. It makes you stronger. Um, it makes the, your company more harmonious and it makes the world more harmonious. It's a common sense thing that everyone should be doing. Yep. Upsides if, only. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but it's one of those things that you forget sometimes, Kurt. I mean, a woman just was um, opted out of going to a conference because there wasn't, they were so excited about having this first conference in this uh, medical industry and not a single speaker at this first conference was a woman. They had all male speakers mm -hmm. and she was so upset. She opted and said, I won't attend. Now, I don't know if that's the right thing to do, but it's so easy. I don't think those people said, let's only get men to speak. Right. I think they said, okay, who are the people I know? And they were mostly men. You know, they were all men. Yeah, mm -hmm. I think it's convention and I think it's incumbency of men still in these positions. So, And who's making those decisions? Right. I think, again, being aware, like, oh, we just, all these speakers are men. Maybe we should think about, you know, after you put your list together, wow, it's all men. Be aware of what yeah. you're doing. Have you looked at your employees that way? Like, I like to get a mix of women and men and, and people of color and, you know, all differences. Is Have you done that intentionally? It, it's kind of turned out that way. Mm. You know, we have a female roaster, which is rare. Uh, Kim, she's amazing. Like wow. she holds, she's the glue that holds the place together. Carissa, our sales lead and, and, and lead trainer, um, she's female as well. It just happened that way. Um, mm. These were the, the people with the best skills and they started on bar as baristas and kind of worked their way up. But you know, you, you could see the skills in these people. And, Kim's and the very, potential, yeah, it sounds and the potential. Like. And Kim is incredibly organized, and Carissa is very extroverted. And so they kind of fell into their natural positions. Wow. That's so cool you saw their potential like that. So one last question we had is, you know, what's the one piece of advice you'd give other men for why they should join in this women's empowerment fight or advocate for women or even think about it? You know, I think the way women's empowerment has been um, kind of thrust upon men, they've been afraid to join the movement. It's mm. kind of they get the fight or flight response to it, mm. I think. Um, but I, I guess I would say don't be afraid of it. It's actually going to help you in your life and your business. You know, whether it's your business or you're working with other people, it, it's going to help you. Don't be afraid of the issue. Dig in and don't be afraid to raise your hand. I think if more men stepped up and advocated for women's empowerment, we'd see a lot more progress a lot more quickly. But for some reason, it, it feels like men are either a little bit afraid of the, the issue or not willing to raise their hand and help. Why, um, why do you think they're afraid? to get involved I, I like that they won't be welcomed into the fight or, or maybe it's a much easy mo thing and they don't want to be you know I, I don't know oh they're afraid they're going to say the wrong thing or do the wrong thing right, right? or it's, look the wrong way to their buddies yeah or, i don't know right it just feels like to me you've lived this journey with ampersand kind of getting oh this went well i saw it make such a difference oh i'll I'll do some other things. What else can I do? It just fed. Right. It, yeah. Right. That's what I love about what you did. You didn't, you committed to making that a part of your mission before you knew exactly how you were going to do it. And so then you had to figure it out. 
Yeah. I think that's like why you've been able to do it. You didn't say, I'll do it if I can find a way to incorporate it. But if I can't find a way to incorporate it, it's not going to be a thing. You like said from the beginning, like you said, baked into your mission statement, it's going to happen. Yeah. And then that forced you to find these organizations and people you could partner with. Yeah. 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 So go, Kurt. Thank go, you. Thank you. go continue. <laughs> prosper. What do they say in Star Wars? Go live long and prosper. Yeah. Live long and prosper. I think that's Star Trek. Okay. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it's so I funny. just went with it. I was like, okay. It's so funny because the first place Ronnie worked at, one of the interview questions was what Star Trek or or what was the other one? Star, Star Wars. Wars character would you be? Oh, wow. It's Awful. Stupid interview. Yeah, that place had, the dumbest, they had yeah. the dumbest yeah. interview questions. They were like just inherently sexist. They were all about like boy stuff. It was just like... When Wendy would go, I'm really interested. I'm excited to follow up with you. Live long and prosper. And they'd be like, it was a Star Wars question. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly what I thought about. I'd fail that interview. They'd never hire me. That's okay. Well, thank you so much for being with us. Yeah, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. It's great to meet you guys in person. It's so good to meet you. Thank you. Wait to end this episode with a great big girl spotlight because you have good picking skills. Thank you. <laughs> it's because I just love to be inspired by all these amazing Me There's too. so many amazing women out there. It's it easy is. to find them. How do we choose? Yeah, exactly. So, my big girl spotlight this week is Katie Sowers. Hmm. Do you know who this I do not. woman is? Okay. She is a third year assistant offensive coach for the. I should not say offensive. I should say offensive. Yes, offensive. <laughs> She's offensive. She is not offensive. <laughs> I take that back. She's a third-year offensive coach <laughs> for the San Francisco 49ers and is the second female assistant coach in NFL history and the first openly gay coach in NFL history. This is so cool. So trailblazer. I have heard of her. Yes, she is on fire right now. So, And it's Katie Sauer. Sours, yes. Get sours. Or it might be sowers, might be sours. Okay. Sorry. We're sorry, if that's Katie. Wrong, Katie. Yeah. We still we love, love you. <laughs> okay. So before starting her career in the NFL, she played in the WFA, which is the Women's Football Alliance, for eight years. Wow. So I didn't even really know what that was. Yeah. But talk about badass central. Totally. In 2013, she was a member of the United States Women's National Football Team and won the IFAF Women's World Championship. We have these things? This is so educational. I know, right? We need to start paying more attention to that. Right. She kept playing for three more years after that until retiring from a hip injury. But mm. her football career was not over. <laughs> she then spent five years as the athletic director of the city of Kansas, of the city of Kansas City. Okay. So she was an athletic director of the city. Of the city. Okay. Which is Kansas City. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even know cities have athletic yeah. directors. Yeah. But apparently they do. Kind of makes sense. You got to direct, you know, yeah. pro I'm football, just not all that. Quite sure why we didn't say she was athletic director of Kansas City. I don't know. <laughs> okay. Because but- I think that I was worried it would sound like she was the athletic director of Kansas City. Like football. Oh, got but it. But it was the for city. the city. Got it. Okay. 
that's way too much information for y'all. She then joined the Atlanta Falcons, where she worked as a scouting intern and also closely with assistant head coach slash wide receiver coach Raheem Morris. And this is where she broke in. Yes. She was on the field, like organizing and running practice drills for the wide receivers. Oh, this is so cool. She then joined the 49ers in 2017 as part of the Bill Walsh Diversity Coaching Fellowship and continued to work with wide receivers there as a seasonal offensive assistant. Okay, what is this fellowship? Did well, you get a I'm chance? I'm glad you asked. I knew you'd Google it. You are so funny. So the Bill Walsh Diversity Coaching Fellowship has been around for 30 years, and basically it gives diverse and talented coaches exposure to NFL training camps and off-season workout programs so that they can network and get experience and have and mentors in the NFL. People. Yeah. yeah. And the idea is if they're good enough, it'll lead to a oppor- uh, coaching opportunity. How cool. Yeah, so you can go online and apply for this. Like, I Googled it, and I was like, oh, should I apply? There's a button. <laughs> I coached the Killer Whales fourth grade soccer oh team God. in Louisville, Colorado. <laughs> you should have done it just for grins. The funny thing, though, is that I doubt 30 years ago when this diversity fellowship started, it was intended for women. It was probably African-Americans. Yeah, and um, minorities. Men of color yep right but uh now it's working for the ladies so i say why not (laughs) yeah not mad about it before um the 2017 season started which is when she was a seasonal offensive assistant she came out as gay and that and she didn't realize it at the time but that made her the first openly out coach in the league wow so i doubt she was the first gay coach in the league but she was the first one to be open about it yeah so that was really groundbreaking and she didn't even really realize she was doing it She is breaking some glass ceilings. Yes. And in 2018, she became an assistant coach, which is a full-time job, and she continues to do that to this day. Oh, I love it. So her latest win, and you might have seen her in this, is she was featured in a Microsoft Surface Pro commercial, which aired during NFL playoff games and during the Golden Globes. I'm going to look it up. Oh, my God. It's such a cute ad. So it starts, and she's reading a journal entry from when she was little, and it says, I hope someday I'll be on a real football team. And then it pans and it shows her like at practice with the little Surface Pro running drills with all the guys. And then at the end of the commercial, she says, I would tell this little girl, keep pushing. Your dream is coming. And like cue the freaking waterworks. Oh like, my that's gosh. Insane. I got like chills. I literally teared up a little bit. That is <laughs> the coolest. Yeah. So it's great commercial and yes. great exposure for her. And it sounds like she's kicking ass. The 49ers are kicking ass, so she yes. must be doing something, yeah, right? totally. So I'm now officially rooting for the 49ers to win the Super Bowl. I love it. I was never really into football. Yeah. Because it's like, you know, all guys, I don't really connect with it. Yeah. But now I'm like connecting you a little got a more. Reason. I'm like, oh, there's some you like representation there. That's right. So I'm officially a 49ers fan. Well, me too. <laughs> Especially since the Broncos went way south. Oh, yeah. So. Broncos and then 49ers. Another fabulous big girl spotlight. Thank you. Way to go, Katie Sowers. Or Sowers. <laughs> Not sure. But we love you. <laughs> now, everybody, thank you for listening. But we need your emails, your likes, your reviews, your five stars. Your subscriptions. Your subscriptions. Your shares. We love hearing from you. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next week. Thank you.